So Patty, great interview today with Eric uh, from Card Connect and talking mm -hmm. about uh, what Fiserv is doing and 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 uh, and Clover and all that, but mainly talking about this this larger kind of one of my main themes is the idea of ISOs and ISVs, software companies, you know, really working together. I thought it was very right. interesting. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I think what they're doing there, you know, is is quite interesting. Um, I love Eric's story because you know I, I thought it was interesting. We've talked to a lot of people. Uh, who have been in the industry a long time, but not a lot of them have always been with the same company. He seems to, you know, been kind of right. sticking close to, you know, to Car Connect through its acquisition. So I thought yes. that was really cool. He has a really great perspective. I think people are going to learn some interesting things from that. And I think people are going to learn some interesting things from your question from the field. I, I love the way you sort of uh, lay the groundwork for, for, for future scoping, for future scaping, shall we say. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't really a super technical topic today or anything like that. I just, I had an interesting conversation with uh, really a couple agents lately, and I just wanted to talk about different paths that you can take in this industry, um, you know, as an individual agent uh, to grow, you know, do you want to scale up and build your own ISO? Do you want to just develop as an individual? So I talk about kind of the, the trade-offs and, uh, you know, I don't have any particular, I don't know what your definition of success is, but just trying to help you map to what that is and understand mm -hmm. the reality and the practical um, aspects of, of getting there. And then, um, Patty, actually a topic that I'm really interested in is FedNow. So talk about that a little bit and what yes, you've been doing. Talk, talk about the latest, um, um, you know, advances for FedNow, which of course is the Fed's um, effort to um, create a network for instant payments and mm -hmm. uh, some of the consumer attitudes and business attitudes towards that, I think, People will be surprised to learn that the Fed is actually test uh, piloting Fed now. Yeah. Um, and it looks like it's on schedule to be live next year, which I think can usher in some significant changes, as you noted, particularly in the B2B field. Yeah. And of course, our episode this week is sponsored by Valor Paytech. Uh, you can learn more by going to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, Patty and I are here today with Eric Nicholson. He is an SVP at Card Connect. How are you doing today, Eric? Doing well. Appreciate Good. being on. Yeah, Good of course. Uh, yeah, we, excellent having you here. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Yeah, so we we actually had Eric on, but it was like several years ago. Um, it's hard to believe that our podcast has actually been going that long, that it was several years ago we had somebody on. But uh, today we're really excited to talk about um, this this ISO and ISV world. So we have all the independent agents and ISOs, then we have all the software companies. And I really think this is an area where Car Connect has done a fantastic job of bringing these worlds together. So Eric's going to talk about how agents and ISOs can scale their uh, their book of business and grow, um, you know, using this integration. So before we dive into that topic, though, Eric, because it has been a while since we're on the podcast, give us a little bit of your backstory again and tell us a little bit about what you do at Car Connect. For sure. Yeah. It's for one thing that's definitely changed the last three years. You know, I was talking into a box in a conference room and this time we're on videos and get the, that's always you know, better. On the screen. Yes, so that's we're, right. you know, we're coming along. So it's great. I spend, you know, as most of us do probably the better part of my day uh, behind the desk during a video screen. So this right. makes it much more uh, natural conversation. So, yes. Yeah. So uh, Eric Nicholson, I'm the SVP of Card Connect. Basically I run our agent and ISO business that's contained within the Card Connect platform. I've been uh, with, with, we're now Pfizer, but been with us for 22 years, coming in um, four days. So I started wow. at ISO, May 31st of 2000. Uh, it was an ISO called Card Service International that first mm -hmm. data acquired. Right. Uh, I was a junior account executive selling e-commerce referral partnerships. 
Um, was really a young guy. I knew what e-commerce was and I had a credit card in my wallet. Uh, I couldn't code. I had a history degree and a sales background and answered an ad on monster.com. And uh, nice. you know, here I am all these years since, right? So got into the e-com game early. It's always kind of been a passion of mine, but you know, and that's really what I love about payments in general, really for all of us, it's the variety. Look at all of the different businesses yeah. we can interact right? with. Yeah. Whether it's someone on the corner, whether it's an enterprise merchant and everybody in between. So it creates a lot of opportunity and like I said, variety, you know, and we get to do different things and, and see the business evolve. So, you know, my day-to-day -day responsibility is our, you know, card connect business working with, you know, my team and then the extension of our sales teams out there in the marketplace, you know, leveraging our tools like Copilot and CardPoint and, and watching, you know, platforms like, uh, like Clover Grow. So. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, so let's start here, Eric, by zooming out a little bit and looking at this problem. Um, you know, this problem exists where we have on one hand, we have software companies and they have all this great technology. They're just blowing up. You know what I mean? It's just, it seems like every day, 15 new software companies start that are servicing small business owners in one niche or another. <clears throat> and they have great technology, but they generally struggle with distribution. You know, they're trying to do online advertising, inbound marketing, which is inherently difficult with small business owners. Um, then in this other world, we have ISOs and agents. Generally speaking, they are not very good at the technology side. They're not offering maybe the best verticalized solution for their, uh, for their merchants. They're struggling to really offer value, but they have all the distribution. They're out there selling their feet on the street or on the phone, and they're really good at cold calling and, and getting these, these uh, you know, merchants. So as an outsider, if you were looking at that, you would think, wow, these two worlds probably love each other and work together really, really well. Um, of course they don't actually, they seem to hate each other and are at war with each other all the time. So, um, what are your thoughts on this problem in general and, and kind of the best path forward to start to bring these worlds together a little bit better? Sure. So, you know, I, I guess with problems come opportunities, right? Right. Um, and, 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 you know, why is there competition? Because we're chasing, you know, you know, well, here, let me back up. So a lot of people just, you know, how do you describe an ISV? An ISV is a software company looking to monetize pain. Right. A an ISO is an organization that monetizes payments. Right. You know, right. an agent is a sales operation that monetizes payments and an individual is a, a sales rep just going out there and winning deals by monetizing payments, leveraging themselves. Right. So they're all trying to do the same thing, but they're approaching it in different directions. Right. And why do ISVs love payments is because, you know, just like why people rob banks, that's where the money is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, you know, all that aside, um, there isn't the, the, you know, my view, it's not a one size fits all approach, right? right? There's collaboration where you work with the ISV either from a, Hey, look, I'll bring you SaaS revenue. I'll take care of the payments. Take, take advantage of what, you know, I have from a distribution perspective. I have sales reps, I have vertical expertise. I have distribution, I have knowledge of payments you maybe have been impacted during COVID and the great resignation. You may have lost your sales team. You may be great software people, have a good product. Do you, why not just leverage what I have here today for me to go out and sell your stuff on your behalf? So that collaboration approach, right? There is the embedded approach where I actually kind of try to take these ISVs and bring them in house and make them part of my ecosystem because what we see on the flip side is ISVs just become ISOs themselves. And the payback story, that's that's another podcast. Right. We can touch the payback stuff. But right, right. a lot of ISVs are like, 
I'm just going to become essentially an agent on ISO myself. So why not leverage, you know, your existing expertise to partner that up um, on that angle, you know, and then thirdly, you know, you know, do you actually then, you know, find others to bring into the ecosystem from a partnership perspective? Like who do you, who works with us? Who do we integrate? And then thirdly, can you go out and find a platform that allows ISVs to integrate to you? So not just embedding them in their existing infrastructure on what you do, but can you provide them a point of value from a technology perspective, not just a sales and relationship, but kind of payments expertise. Right, so right. a variety of ways to, to kind of get in there and angle and, you know, and win. Because, you know, the contrast of, and I had a, depending on who you speak to in the markets that they sell into 40 to 60% of the deals that they're encountering have an integrated play. A lot of those 40%, I, we have a really large partner that sells into their existing base of customers. They cross sell into it and they have, I don't know, we'll call it a million customers, 40 and they don't sell integrated payments. 40% of the deals that they had basically have to turn away and go, Oh, I can't do that because it's not easy. Right. And they have this huge pool of business to sell into, and they're still selling a very simple, you know, savings based. Let me get you uh, product X, save you some money, move on to the next. Right. They're just they're having to churn through because they don't have an integrated play. Right. right. And so, right. you know, the need is there um, for sure. Can we? Thus, yeah. yeah. Let's let's take a look at one of those extreme options, if you don't mind, Eric. You know. Uh, some ISOs, larger ISOs and processors, you know, um, have or are considering the actual purchase of an ISV, as you said, you know, bringing it in-house. Um, can you talk to this practice, you know, what might, why, how and why this might be a good option for some companies? Sure. So two things. One, it, it, it changes the, at a, a, a large level, right? It changes the ISV or the ISO from an ISO to a software company, right? So if you're looking at, you know, exit strategies, acquisitions, totally changes, you know, how you're viewed. You go from a, a payments company to a software company, multiples, all those things, right? So mm-hmm. you become a more attractive target. Um, it also expands your opportunity in terms of who you can sell to, the quality of merchants you sell into. And then from a, if you're in the traditional, you know, ISO space, it expands your distribution and creates differentiation because you're not just, you know, pardon the phrase, slinging terminals or, or giving great upfronts. You're giving a path for why we're talking about ISVs today for people to partner and work with you, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then if we, you know, think about most of our listeners, of course, wouldn't have the kind of money to, you know, full out acquire right. uh, their right. own, their own ISV. Um, what are the, some of the other ways they could work? And, and, you know, you, you alluded to a couple of them in, in one of your um, answers here a little bit ago, but what are some other ways they could partner to really, you know, get that ISV to understand how they could leverage the distribution? Because the other thing I find too is honestly, Eric, you probably see this when I talk to the ISVs and do consulting for them, they all kind of want to tap into this. You know, it's like, oh yeah, there's all these salespeople out there that are talking to small business owners selling payments. We'd love to tap into that, but they're not very good at it, you know? Right. So it doesn't seem to really work out very well as a, as a general rule a lot of times. And so what have you found, you know, what, what are some other ways that ISOs uh, can work with ISVs when they don't have enough money to, to do the acquisition? How can they actually make something that's going to work, a partnership that's going to that's gonna actually produce something? 
Sure. So finding an ISV in kind of their growth curve, maybe they went out and then started as a what we call like, you know, use the phrase like discovery ISV. Maybe they did an integration to some payfac, maybe, you know, Stripe, they just they did something quick and dirty and simple. And they're monetizing payments. Well, they're integrated to payments, but they're not necessarily monetizing it, right? Right. So finding a smaller growing ISV, generally, if you've got an existing vertical focus or vertical expertise, that lends itself well to time both expanding what your distribution vertical expertise is to then bring up a technology platform that they can integrate into as well that 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 kind of takes them up market from a tech and support and service perspective mm -hmm. instead of just a connected integration so finding a platform that can that they you can leverage on their behalf so comboing your sales and marketing and you know payments expertise into a technology platform that expands what they can do outside of just the kind of generic quick and dirty integration to some large payback. Um, that, that combo sells well. Um, you're probably not going out to some gigantic multi-million dollar a year ERP. You're not trying to be the next NetSuite, but you're trying to find the next, I don't know if you care if it's pet care, bike shops, sushi, whatever, SMB America, the same merchants you're selling to today also need an ISV play. So that's, that's the places you know, that I encourage people to look. And so comboing those creates an opportunity for success. So that's what you're saying for the individual agent or the small ISO, that they, they should be going after specific vertical or niche um, and then sort of linking up with an ISV or, or, or are there other strategies that can work? It, it, it's basically that. So it, let's assume that you're already selling into a vertical and you know that vertical well. Mm -hmm. Find the ISVs that that are currently working with merchants that, that you're trying to sell into, right. and give them a shout and find out who they're integrated into, who they're using, what their success has been. Also talk to the merchants. Do you like them? Does it work? Why do you use this? What are your pain points? Are you using the full suite? Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and, then, and then essentially you can take it from there. So it becomes those classic kind of one-to-many sales. And that's sure, simple. sure. You know, Eric, one of the things I just thought of that's maybe a little bit off the beaten path, but I, I wanted to clarify something. So when we talk, when we you talk about an ISV, um, I think, you know, I think a lot of our listeners really don't even understand what that looks like, to be honest with you. And what I mean by that is they don't understand the variation that can exist. So I think in their mind, they're probably thinking of a company that built like a website <clears throat> or something where people can go and do some kind of business management activity, or maybe they're thinking of a point of sale provider, but Talk to us about, you know, uh, things like even apps, you know, so when you, when you think about like Clover, which we're going to talk about in a second, you know, Clover has an app store, PAX has an app store. Um, isn't it true that a lot of these companies that are making these apps, um, that's a software company as well. That's right. That, and, and these agents can work with those software companies to learn more about that and, and figure out, Hey, if I could figure out how to use this app on my, on the Clover mini, this would be a fantastic solution for dentists or for whatever this vertical is they're going after. Are you seeing that approach as well? For sure. I, I kind of, I would put those in a developer bucket, right? So I'm a develop, I'm a software developer that I'm point. doing something very mm -hmm. specific within a larger ecosystem. So an app, whether that's on Clover, a phone, packs, what have you. So I'm taking my little point of value and either, you know, either connecting it to another system, whether that's accounting or payroll or what have you, or, or something very simple like, I don't know, ordering paper or some, something very, very niche. So I'm connecting the dots. 
An ISV to me is is servicing, although they do have integrations, is still service is still the central point of how the how the merchant runs their business, inventory, accounting, payroll. Um, you know, if it's you know an extension of an ERP system, if you're maybe and we do a lot of professional services uh, in 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 the car connect stack, right? So maybe you're integrating into insurance companies, things like yeah. that. Okay. But the yeah. merchant is running their business through the ISV software. Similar plays though with a developer. Hey, let's build something cool on Clover and get into there. And then it becomes a point of differentiation. So yeah. a little bit of a continuum, but that's probably how I would differentiate. It. I like that. And I guess, I guess the differentiating factor too would be in, in the app developer, they're not technically monetizing the payments. Right, because they're 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 monetizing the payments ecosystem, but they're not monetizing the payments directly most of the time because they're providing right. that value. So that's a good they're point. They're trying to so, leverage that ecosystem to right. get the distribution for their cool little widget versus right. on the other end where you're more embedded. But got it. Yeah. Okay, so so that's a really good segue. So I want to talk about Clover for just a second because I have to say I think Clover is probably the best existing example of agents and ISOs partnering together with technology, and, you know, and, and actually seeing success on both sides. So I'm just kind of curious, what do you attribute the success of, of Clover? You know, what do you attribute the success and specifically with this idea of the partnership that's, that's where ISOs and agents, so many now are selling Clover regularly and, and we're seeing that kind of uh, engine growth and the ISOs and agents are benefiting. And of course, Clover is benefiting as well. So what do you attribute that success to? Sure. So, and, and um, Maybe we'll use your, uh, uh, get a reverse quote from you internally uh, here on that <laughs> yeah. one. So thank, thank you for the, the kind of the recognition uh, and, and praise of the platform, but probably two things. One, it's evolved. It's evolving. It continues to evolve, um, you know, from the original station all the way through, you know, iter different iterations of station, mobile, the mini, the flex. Um, and it, but why, why I think that, you know, ISOs and agents, it's resonated well with them because it meets them where they're at and where they're selling. It's an SMB platform. We primarily sell into the SMB space, right? So it's, it's, it's a sweet spot into the markets that we're currently selling. And really it was on, it's, it is an under, it, 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 I guess was and is generally underserved, whether you're yeah. basic retail, quick service, smaller restaurants, like those have been kind of left out and been terminal type merchants in the past. So it meets them where they're at. It's evolving. Um, merchants like the product, you know, um, and uh, it is it is now almost getting to a point of it's not ubiquity, but there's there's enough awareness in the SMB world of oh that's a clover I want it, right? And then we can together and do it, right? And we're leveraging our ind indirect distribution, whether our agents and ISOs, and it's a significant part of the clover success story, you know. And inversely, I've kind of messaged that from an ISV perspective. Direct sold ISVs, kind of discovery ISVs that maybe go through kind of a payfacky self-service perspective. Mm -hmm. You have a direct team and building out an indirect team from an ISV perspective. Using that district, and this is kind of my corporate hat, but using that distribution that exists mm -hmm. that we won with Clover, we can do the same with ISVs. Because you, mm -hmm. you name the vertical, you name the market, you name the region, right. you name Main Street USA, there's an agent or ISO out there servicing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Hey, you know, since we're on Clover, I'd love to get your thoughts on um, 
on, on what kind of options exist. I mean, not your thoughts, but actually your insight on what kind of options exist on Clover these days for compliance, surcharging, uh, cash discounting, any of those other you know new pricing models. For sure, uh, and new pricing models is probably a great way to describe things yeah. kind of overall. And I because there's a lot out there. There's like there, you know there's a lot out there. There's a lot of gray area there. We'll kind of stay away from that. I'll kind of give you my my macro view of it, and then we'll talk about what's in Clover, right? So okay. I think merchant choice is important, right? You kind mm -hmm. of have if you do the if you take it into three buckets, there's the classic transparency of IC plus, right? There's the simplicity of flat on the other end. And then, and then there's, you know, if, if merchants choose to pass on some of the cost of acceptance to the cardholder, right, you have surcharging. So we have surcharging embedded within Clover, okay. um, whether it's card present, card not present on all the different devices um, that, you know, does, you know, looks at the bin range, if it's credit card, it'll surcharge, if it's debit card, it doesn't. And so that's been part of the Clover suite, about a year, um, continued and growing success with it. Um, and it's, uh, you know, integrated in the, in, into Clover natively. There are people that have built from an app perspective, since we're talking about apps and Clover mm -hmm. apps that have built a, a, what effectively is kind of a cash discount app within, um, the POS. And that really is important to, to denote. You have to have a POS to kind of truly do cash discount because you have to recognize the tender type. Is it credit? That's the dollar for the bag of chips. If it's cash, maybe I give on a bad math five cent five five cent discount, right? And it's a bag of chips is now ninety five cents, right? right. But that's right. done within the within the POS is kind of a tender type, and so there's several third parties that are built apps that are out there today. I'm just how the yeah, how people ahead. choose to price the merchant mm -hmm. account for that that's disconnected, and that's really up to the sales rep and the merchant to to decide on what they want to build. Yeah, that that that's, that's kind of what I was getting at, and I, and I know we talk here, and James, this is one of James's topic, hot topics these days, is the concept of dual pricing, right? It's sort of like, it's sort of like a surcharge, but if it's compliant, it's also sort of like a discount. Am I correcting? Am I correcting the way I described that, James? Well, well, and again, I think I think the key point here is, you know, through app developers, Clover offers the ability to have a cash price and a card price. Right. That's right. what and, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And of yeah. course it needs to be implemented in, in a certain way. And so, um, yeah, I, I love that. I think it's great, especially the compliance surcharging. I think that's really interesting because one thing, you know, Eric is there's actually not very many software providers that have that right now. Right. Um, you know, because of the extra step of the bin lookup to make sure it's credit versus uh, debit because, you know, you can't surcharge debit. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually interested. I mean, was that a pretty challenging product, you know, thing to pull off? Cause there is kind of this whole extra authorization step, right? Yeah, no, it was a big workup. It was a, you know, a passion product project, so to speak, for several of us to have that within Clover. Um, took better part of a year to build out and constant maintenance, right? Whether yep. it's bins, whether it's states, whether it's zip codes, making yep. sure that, that is all compliant. And it's an evolving landscape in terms of, um, you know, both card brand regs as well as actually, you know, you know, state law. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because that, that that's one of those tech plays that kind of gets you into the compliance piece a lot more because now all of a sudden you're providing this thing that you're saying is compliant. And so that's that's a whole other ballgame, as you know. So that's, that's uh, you know, definitely kudos for that. I think that, that's really awesome. There, there really aren't very many solutions right now that have that. Um, okay, my last question. Um, I, I want to bring up something that you brought up in a conversation we had recently, Eric. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I was really blown away by this idea that you had, which was, you know, there are certain verticals or businesses that have kind of actually been oversold on the technology, meaning they've gotten this technology that they actually don't really want and kind of an annoyance that's they're not really using the feature and all that. And you're seeing ISOs actually having success in some of these cases going into this merchant that, you know, or, or talking to them where they already have this integrated solution and kind of backing them up and selling them something maybe a little easier to use. Can you talk about that concept a little bit and what you're seeing? For sure. And this, this, this sales strategy in and of itself isn't unique to the ISV piece, but I think it's very applicable and going in and, you know, you go into an existing merchant, talk to them, you know, they have an ISV and you kind of do this decision tree. Am I integrated to it? Or do I have an alternative solution? If I'm integrated to it, well, fine, let me just switch you out to the, the regular merchant play. Do I have something else to sell? Maybe I try to sell them that, but that's a much longer cycle sale because yeah. you're prying them out of everything. Mm-hmm. They do. But if you've got a better mousetrap, it's worth your time because of what we know about the, you know, an integrated merchant play. Right. The alternative too is explore the path of, are they really using the full integration or they just really need to accept payments? And if you have also something from a payments perspective that can create efficiency, save money, et cetera, you can have a compelling story to, to kind of take them uh, from a, a fully integrated to more of an offline mode. Well, they go, if you ask a couple of questions, well, what are you, you know, what are you using the ISV for? Are you using it for inventory tracking, you know, et cetera, et cetera, across the board in terms of how they run their business? Probably not a play. But like, no, nah, I really only use this and I pay for that. Mm-hmm. Well, then you can probably say, hey, well, you know, just keep these three modules. Let me simplify your life as well as, you know, your bookkeeper, your back office, your front desk folks. And let me give you a, an integrated experience, kind of a clover or a card point that will give you that kind of light omni-channel flow, but without the complexity and the expenses of a fully integrated ISD piece. So really it's about questions into that merchant about how much they're using the ISV, what they're using it for, and you know, and to a certain extent, you know, what is it costing them for that? And do they see benefit? And if you get the right kind of objections back or information back, you can then present a, a simplified solution that they can use to process their payments and, and then let them focus on running their business. So yeah, great it's idea. not really that much different really than the sales pitch of, of yesterday, except that it just takes on a slightly different tenor of questions. Yeah, right? no, yeah. It's not a new, you know, people have been doing this for years. Right. But instead of trying to run through the ISV or to challenge it or to stack on top of it, you're like, oh, I'm actually gonna go this way. Right. Let's just leave them aside and do you really need this and, and go down that route. So, you know, yeah. because like we mentioned, I, I use that 40% statistic. I think I've heard others that James, you've said 60%, right? So you've got to have a couple of different plays when you're encountering. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you what, Eric, the reason I love that idea, when, when you brought that up, it's one of those things that's like, I had never thought of that angle before. And, you know, I'm the one always, whether it's myself or my consulting clients, we're always kind of like banging our head against the wall there of like, well, they have an integrated solution. So our only option is integrate or replace it, mm-hmm. you know, with, with another similar solution or better solution. But what, what really rang true about this idea to me is there are actually a lot of merchants, small business owners who are not very tech savvy and they kind of got this thing that they thought was going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And now it's this like $200 a month SaaS fee they pay that really doesn't do anything for them other than drive them crazy. 
And, yeah. you know, I think it's such an interesting one. So again, I agree with you. Definitely. It's like, that's more of a, a, a last resort or kind of a, you know, a third option there. Cause obviously you want to be able to integrate, which is great or, or offer them something that is integrated and, and more convinced than that, Hey, you really should be using these features, um, but use it with my system or use it with my payments. But um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of business owners that really, and it's so funny you say this, Eric, I actually went out in the field about um, two months ago. I was doing a little, just like survey test of some assumptions I had. And I went in and asked like 30 merchants um, how they liked their integrated solution that they were using, whatever it was, you know, Square, Clover, whatever. And it was actually a surprisingly large percentage of them basically said, eh, just like before I run payments through it. And I didn't at the time think of it, but it was like, yeah, that's that actually really rings true. So that, that was super interesting to me. Um, interesting. So interesting, Eric. Uh, I know we could talk for another hour, but we better not do that. So let's let's do this instead. Um, give us some information about where our audience would go if they want to learn more about you and they want to learn more about um, partnering with Card Connect Fiserv. Sure. So if uh, you haven't been working with us today, head out to cardconnect.com. You can check out our integration docs. If you're down an ISP path, you can have our partner inquiry page. Love to connect with you there. Or if you're uh, into emails, uh, partner development at cardconnect.com. Love to chat. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. Uh, always a pleasure, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate the invite. Uh, good to be back. Yeah, great to have you back, Eric. Thanks again. Thanks, folks. So our episode today, of course, sponsored by Valor Paytech, ccsalespro.com slash Valor. Um, you know, Patty, I've talked a lot lately about, you know, uh, dual pricing. Right. Um, we have non-cash adjustment, which is by no means dead or anything. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. people still doing yeah. that and probably will continue. Um, now there's some new things coming out uh, that I'm going to be talking about more that I'm, I'm hearing rumblings from people speaking directly to Visa about other ways that they consider that you could pass the cost of processing on in a compliant way that are, in my opinion, actually kind of ridiculous. But the important thing is, Valor Paytech supports like all of these possible options. Right, right. It's actually really crazy. And, you know, people think of like, oh, it's cash discounting. That's that's this one thing. It's like, no, there's actually a lot of different ways you could do it. Different ways the receipts are displayed, line item, no line item, showing the discount, not showing the discount. Um, do you apply it before sales tax, after sales tax? You know, there's actually a lot of questions. And what I love about Valor and what they've done is they look at themselves and say, hey, we're processor agnostic technology. And I talked to Eric about this recently. He's like, look, James, like he, they're building out this new thing that Visa is saying they want. Right. And, you know, they just, they're going to have it. So it's like, if you want to do that. You, so it's just amazing. I love the flexibility. You know, yeah. And it's, a, it, you know, it, it is the flexibility and it's the fact that they, they can be, because the, um, the technology is so robust, they can just go in and make a few changes and then we're supporting a new way of well, and, and they're supporting an omni-channel, right? So that right. same experience you're getting, whatever that pricing strategy is, Wherever you're getting on the terminal, the virtual terminal, the e-invoicing, the text invoicing, it's all working seamlessly together. So if you haven't yet checked it out, definitely do so. Go to ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R uh, and check them out. I think you're going to love it. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. 
So Patty, today in questions from the field, I actually want to reference um, a conversation that I just had yesterday uh, with somebody that I thought was just a very interesting conversation. Um, so I was talking to an individual, as an individual sales professional, mm-hmm. um, W-2 with a, a large payment processing company everybody would know. Right. Um, and uh, he's done a good job, kind of built up, you know, uh, built up some business, built up some expertise and uh, was, you know, reaching out to me to kind of talk about what's next. And we had a couple of things that we talked about that I just thought would be kind of interesting to share. I mean, I don't necessarily have an exact topic in mind mm-hmm. here, but just a couple of things I think are interesting for the individual agents that's looking to, to ask kind of what's next. And the first question I, I asked him is, I said, you know, before we get into the specifics, let's zoom out for a minute. And I said, when you look at your life five years from now, and you imagine your, your day and what your day is like and what your week is like and what your year is like, um, how much freedom and flexibility do you see in that life? What type of financial independence do you want to have? Because, you know, he was talking to me about how he had the entrepreneurial bug and, and things like that. And so I think it is very, very important for people to understand that there are these kind of two different paths. And of course, there's a middle ground to everything. But I think, mm-hmm. I think this is where there, there really are these two kind of fairly different paths. And that is number one, if your goal is about individual financial independence, and schedule flexibility, Mm -hmm. then what you really want to do to scale is you want to build support staff around yourself. Right. And you don't want to build a big company. You know, this idea, you know, I mean, I mean, in case you didn't know it, you know, Elon Musk sleeps in the factory several nights a week. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you, I, I, I read entertainment pages. He also doesn't change his mattress. <laughs> yeah, right. That too. <laughs> well, the gross details as well. Right. Um, you know, but it's like this idea that, you know, oh, I'm, I really want to build this really, really big company. And it's like, oh, OK, cool. Well, how many hours a week do you work? Right. Oh, 20. Nah. Well, that's, that's, that's not how that works. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you the other thing too. The other thing is I want to build a really big company because I want to make a lot of money. Well, right. yes. When you accomplish your objective of building a really big company, then at that point you'll make a lot of money. Okay. But like, I mean, personal example, I mean, you know, our uh, statement analysis company, I mean, there was a period of like 18 months there where I was burning somewhere between 40 to $60,000 a month. I remember. I remember. No investors, no debts. All out of pocket. Personally yeah. burning 40 to $60,000 a month on that business. Right. Now, and remember um, when you thought it was good to make 40 to $60,000 a year. Exactly. Right. There's, right? That was <laughs> like quite a long time years ago. ago. But, yeah. But still. <laughs> but, you know, that idea of like, could I have found something else to do with that money? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Could I have found something else to do with my time other than manage and train all of the employees um, to get to where we're at with that business now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm still putting time into this business and still training and delegating and all that. And so it's like, that's a very different path. And I have, you know, three different businesses. I have another one that I'm in the process of. And it's like, you know, that's because my personal path to success is business is not only a, a, a job or work for me, it's my passion. It's my hobby. I love it. You know? And so I, I want to go to work every day and do what I'm doing. I'm not trying to live on an Island somewhere. Um, right. If I was trying to do that, that would be a very different path. So I think number one is figure out what your life is going to look like in five years of what you want, you know, in terms of freedom and, and, you know, financial. And so, and then you got to think about, what am I willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. to get to where I want to be? Right. You because know, sacrifice is going to be a major part, no matter what. Absolutely. I mean, if, you re- if you really want success, you need to sacrifice at least some. 
Yeah. And you know, there's so many people, I, so many agents I talk to where they really don't have any, especially on the financial side and, mm-hmm. and the schedule side, they have really no margin to do anything new. And what I mean by that is their time, it's like, well, I have these 20 hours a week that I, pro, that I, I sell payment processing, maybe you know 25 and that's all I have. And then the rest of the time I'm hiking or I'm doing this or I'm watching doing other Netflix things or, or whatever, whatever, you yeah. know, and then on the financial side, it's like, well, I make $27,000 a month, $30,000 a month, but you know, I live in a huge house. I have a really nice car and I use all that money and I have a little mm-hmm. bit of retirement savings. And so it's like, well, you got to understand if you want to, if you want to actually take what you're doing and make it into a business, two things are going to have to happen. Number one, you're gonna have to have a conversation with your significant other and your friends and family to say, Hey, I'm going back to work. Mm-hmm. So you remember 10 years ago when I used to work 50 hours a week, I'm doing that again, you know? Right. Um, and you're also going to have to say, Hey, you know what? We may have to downsize or, or change our financial structure a bit because I need to take 10,000 out of that 27 per month. And I need to pay the first three employees I'm going to hire. Right. 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 I'm going to have a one part-timer and I'm going to have two full-time and I need, I have to hire these three people to get my business to the next level because I can't do everything. So now you go from making 27,000 a month to 17,000, which Maybe some of you are the newer to the industry. You're thinking seventeen thousand a month sounds pretty good, but when you're making twenty seven to go to seventeen, and when you're living in a big house with a new car and your kids in private school, exactly things yeah. you know you have to make these decisions. And so, um, you know, it's been really important to me. And you know, I uh, I almost one of the one of my only regrets, Patty, about content. I was going to shoot a video that I didn't shoot. It's my opportunity cost. Um, this would have been four years ago. Um, I bought a uh, a new vehicle for my wife, paid cash for it, and uh-huh. I pulled into the driveway and I pulled right up next to this old blue minivan. Oh no! <laughs> that was my vehicle that I right. drove for business right. for years, and I almost did a video right there in between these two, just to say, like, if you actually want to build a business, this is what you do. You yeah. keep driving this car here, and so then you can get to this car. Yeah. And, and frankly, most of his payroll, I mean, you know, my, my, I traded my car payment for being able to have people. I traded, you know, at that point we were renting, uh, still renting a house. I didn't buy my first house until a couple of years ago because frankly, I didn't have the time to deal with the nonsense of buying a house. And I didn't have the money to just say, I'm going to just take all this money out of my business and put it into a huge down payment on a big fancy house. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to wait till I got to the point where I could do those things without in any way hurting our business growth. And so you have to ask yourself, what are you willing to sacrifice? And again, you might say, you know, James, now that you say that, I don't think I want to do all that. Good for you. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But just don't try to do it because you're going to fail. Right. Instead, get a support staff around. You're still going to have to sacrifice a little something, right? You're going to have to sacrifice a little bit of money, get us, you know, a, at least one person that's going to do your phone calls and your schedule and start to organize. But you've got to think about where you want to get to. So I can see a lot more about this, but I think that the idea here is you need to be intentional about this. You, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people who I feel like are very aspirational, mm-hmm. um, but they're not very practical. And, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, I'm going to be, you know, again, you're, you're limited. I mean, I, I know individual agents in the industry that make 50 to $60,000 a month in residual. And again, that's fantastic. Um, but that's about it. I mean, I don't know too many that are above that unless they have a team of people around them. I know some individuals that have a team of people that are at a hundred thousand a month. Now I don't know any individual agent making a million dollars a month. No, 
right? Like there is a limit because it's just you. You can only do so only much. Do so much. There's right. only so and, many hours in a day. Right. And for you, you might say, hey, that's fantastic. That's my goal. I want to get to 400,000, 500,000 a year with complete flexibility of my time and schedule and, and money. Well, then that's a great path. Go on that path. Or you might say, no, no, no. I want to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars someday. Well, then that is going to require extreme sacrifice, both time and money. Um, and not like that's going to just automatically get you there. Then you're going to have to, you know, read a couple of books a month and, and you know, continuing education to learn what you need to learn. But the idea is pick which path you want to go on and then go down it. Yeah, exactly. Right, so right. there you go. There's my advice of kind of the reality check for this week for those that are kind of thinking about what's next. Nice reality check. Thanks, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, James, to the list of trends being driven by the coronavirus pandemic, you can add faster payments. Really? Uh, yeah, the Fed just published results of a new consumer survey showing a lot of demand. Uh, as it put, as the Fed put it, quote, the demand for faster payments spans age groups and is intensified in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. When you say faster payments, what do you mean exactly? Well, that is something I was going to talk okay, about. Okay, go ahead. I'm stealing Faster payments can be a different things to different people, right? Okay. Now, today, most people look at faster payments they think when I do my Zelle or I do PayPal or I do Venmo, that's fast payments, but it's not instant payments. Mm, okay. Okay. So when I send you a Venmo, you immediately get access to that money, but your bank doesn't get access to that money probably for a day or two because on the back end, right. those are settled either through you know through another network, usually right. the ACH, ACH network. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but when the Fed talks about faster payments, what it's really talking about is instant payments, where I send you a Venmo and it immediately comes out of my account and immediately goes into your account. So this is the uh, this is the um, Fed the now Fed or... now thing, right? Okay. Exactly. Right. And that's really what the Fed was doing this research for was to you know sort of make the case for sure. Fed now. Sure. Um, and you know that's an architecture. And and I have to admit, I myself thought. That now is like a pipe dream, but it looks like it's actually going to go live next year, mm -hmm. which is a year earlier than the Fed had thought, which is remarkable for the Fed. Yes. And they are already piloting it. Really? And I didn't know that. This is super interesting. I actually did a bunch of research on this. Um, probably six months ago, I was talking to some people about doing a B2B play and making mm -hmm. a, an ISV around B2B mm -hmm. payments. And mm -hmm. so I was looking into this and I ended up not doing it, doing it but it was... Uh, yeah, I was super impressed with what they had, the documentation and everything. Yeah, I think it yeah. seemed like they were really coming along. I didn't know they were that far along, though. Yeah, and in fact, what's interesting is they are piloting it not only with financial institutions, but a handful of fintechs, like including Square, hmm. um, which I think is, you know, really interesting. I mean, you know, the Fed has set up all these parameters for, you know, what you need, because... You know, the fact is, as, as I'm sure you understand, maybe not everybody in our audience understands is the Fed is sort of like the gatekeeper to the nation's payment system. Right. Everything eventually goes through Fed accounts. Right. And right. every financial institution has a Fed account. But right. non-bank financial technology firms don't have Fed accounts. So to get these Fed accounts, 
they basically have to jump through a lot of hoops and get some sort of charter. Um, so anyway, that's sort of where we stand now. We have tests going on. It's going to go live in 2023. Um, but I wanted to just get into some of these survey data points. Yeah, sure. Um, what is the what are the most like among consumers? What are their most likely uses of of instant payments? Um, top of the list is business payments to businesses. Yep, about seventy seven percent. Person to person, account to account came in second and third at about sixty percent each. And this aligns with the results of a survey the Fed did last year of businesses. Um, that survey revealed that nine out of 10 U.S. businesses expected to be sending and receiving faster payments within three years. Yep. So um, a few other notable findings of the consumer survey, uh, nearly seven in 10 consumers use a mobile device to send and receive payments. 83% of those are using a fintech app or a digital wallet, at least some of the time. Hmm. And what I thought was really interesting is even among those 55 and older, it's about 70%. And that's my, you know, my generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, we're becoming more and more. And I know it is when I deal with my friends. I mean, it's it's a constant. It's like yeah. Venmo or Zelle. <laughs> right. right. Even yeah. PayPal is sort of like taking secondary consideration. Yes, it, ha- it really has. Yeah, it really has, you know. Yes. Um, so the most popular app right out there now is PayPal, according to the Fed. Um, it's used regularly about, about, about 45% of people, 35% say they use it occasionally. Uh, Zelle is close behind. And what I thought was interesting is that Google Pay, Apple Pay, Cash App, all kind of trail. Not got, none got more than 25% as uh, combined regular or occasional users among this consumer group. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 63% of consumers expect their overall use of faster payments, instant payments, um, to, um, to grow over the next three years, particularly if, and most importantly, those that offer robust fraud protections. Mm. And I think that's the real key here. And that's why something like FedNow or RTP, which is the private sector version of FedNow, which is run by the New York Clearinghouse and all the major banks in the country. I think that's why they are, are, um, are getting so much traction right now because you know the, there's, when you have banks in the mix, the, the, the fraud detection, the fraud prevention becomes far more um, important because yeah. they have regulators to respond to. Yes, sure. So you know, I think it's really interesting. I think for our audience, one of the things that's gonna, this, is, this move to instant payments and FedNow is going to do is you're gonna see a lot more, you know, um, same day or next day funding. Yeah. And you're right. gonna see, you know, hopefully ISOs and agents getting their money faster right. from the acquirers. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, like, you know, what I like to say is there's faster payments, like same day ACH, and then there's instant payments, right. which would be like FedNow. And I think what FedNow is going to do, it's going to provide a much more secure um, background for these um, yeah. person to business, person to person 
type of payment arrangements. Well, and, and to me, the, the actually to me, the most interesting takeaway of all of this is when you think about B2B, which right now, $33 oh, yeah. trillion dollar market, right. he says doing, I think about a trillion of it. Um, and when you think about that, you know, this Fed now is in a way uh, kind of a, a competitor to the card brands when it comes to capturing B2B payments. Because, oh, yes. you know, one of the main reasons the ACH is, you know, not great for B2B payments is the, the time lag. Right. Um, and so when it's like, hey, once all these fintechs start rolling out this instant, you know, Fed now and all of that, and it even plays into cryptocurrency type plays and things where money needs to be uh, converted in and out of different, you know, uh, right. currencies and things like that. It's so I, I think the, I think we're going to start to see a lot of fintech uh, movement around this. And I think it'll be very, very uh, interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, I spent a lot of my early career um, covering cash management, treasury management, you know, corporate right. cash management. And, you know, a lot of those systems that are set up, I mean, it just boggles the mind that here I am, what, 30 years later, and they're still using these same basic right. systems, you know. Right. Um, that, you know, business to business transactions, uh, we, we've seen checks, you know, yeah. drastically check usage drastically reduced but you know there's been real no nothing quite able to take over that and i know we've talked a lot about b2b for card i know our friend roger mcnamara talked a lot about that i think there's a wide open market there and i don't nice. think i don't think that it's going to be eclipsed by by fed now or rtp i don't think so either but, but I, I think, think ultimately yeah it's another it's another person that's going to try to get a piece of the pie. And again, ironically, I mean, not like Fed now is going to be personally trying to get a piece of the pie, obviously right. as the government, but, but I the think banks. there's going to be a lot of fintechs and that fintechs. are going to, that'll start up. That'll say, Hey, we offer B2B payments. It's instant. It's much cheaper than car payment, you know, and that, right. so that'll be, and now again, there's other rationales. You mentioned Roger McNamara. I just talked to him yesterday. There's a lot of other rationales of course, as well, but um, you know, I think it's just an interesting player in the, in the, B2B oh, I, yeah, I think it really is. And, and when you look at, you know, the, the, organizations that have been working with the Fed on Fed now. We're talking about companies like Dwala, Dwala, you know, um, yes. and we're talking about Square and we're talking right. about Google. You know, all of these fintechs yes. are very active in this. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, good stuff, Patty. Thanks so much Thanks. for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.